All right, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20 this morning. So if you got a Bible, find Exodus chapter 20. And if you have a white or a blue Bible that we handed you, it's going to be page 35. Just like the white one I got up here. Verse 18, chapter 20, says this. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking... The people were afraid and trembled, and they stood afar off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And the people stood afar off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. All right, so we're in the middle of a story. You probably gathered that. It's really, this doesn't make any sense. Uh, the people of God are coming out of the land of Egypt. They come to the foot of Mount Sinai. God basically says, I'm going to meet you at Mount Sinai. They said, all right, sounds good. Whatever you want, we're in. God says, let's make a covenant. You're going to be my people. They say, good, good for us. God says, prepare yourselves. So they spend three days preparing themselves. Then they come out, stand at the foot of the mountain. And Moses comes down the mountain. He was up there. We'll talk about that later. He comes down, God speaks the Ten Commandments, and this is immediately after the Ten Commandments. So the people see the thunders, the flashes, lightning, they hear the voice of God speaking the Ten Commandments, and they're like, actually, Moses, you go talk to God. We don't want to. It's scary. Okay? So that's why you read what you just read. Today's message is going to be awesome. And we're just going to mainly talk about those three verses. They're a big three verses. How many of you just... Point of reference, this is your favorite three verses in all the Bible. One of you, yes! No, uh, it's probably not. It might be after today. Today's message is going to be awesome. I promise you that, okay? Now, I know that sounded super humble. I'm excited about it, okay? I don't think it's going to be awesome because of me. I think it's going to be awesome because of the Word. But it's going to require you to stay engaged. Okay, it's not going to be complicated. I think every single person in here can get this, but you can't check out for five minutes and then be like, oh yeah, I'm following you. You're going to have to stay with me. Okay. Are we, are we up for that? Or we could just do something else. I could do like seven ways to a better life in 2024. We could do that, but I'm not going to. Okay, here we go. Hang with me. This is going to be great. If you want something to write down or take notes on your phone, that might be helpful today. It's going to be really good, but you're going to have to hang with me. Okay, here we go. Each time and place in the history of the world comes up with their own literature. This should make sense to us, right? It, 2,000 years ago, they had their own types of content. There was like cave drawings and stuff like that. People come up with content in their own time, place, context. Different language, different methods, right? We understand that. If somebody from 2,000 years ago watched a TikTok today, they'd be like, what is happening? Now, they probably would get some sort of information about it. Okay, there's music, there's dancing, what's going on here? But it would help them if you explained to them, no, 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 there's the internet. And they'd be like, what's the internet? And then you'd be like, oh, no, I'm already off on the wrong track. But you only have this many seconds. You got to do something. And they'd be like, oh, that's why it's short. So anyway, Every time, place, culture, people group has these types of content that they are generated, and it's specific to their time and place for a reason, okay? So the Bible, as you probably know, was not written in English, and it wasn't written in 2023. <laughs> Surprise. So that's probably good for you to know and keep in mind as we read. 
this part of the Bible, and actually the entire Old Testament, uh, is what we're going to call ancient Hebrew meditation literature. Okay? This is not as complicated as it sounds. Ancient, because it's old. Anybody? Even the public schoolers are like, yep, I'm on board. Okay? Ancient, because it's old. Hebrew, because that's the language it was written in. Meditation, because the Bible actually tells you that's the proper way to understand it, is to meditate on it. And it's literature, because it's written down, okay? So we're just going to go with that name for it. That's what smart people who study these things call it, ancient Hebrew meditation literature. And the meditation part is key, because the Bible in several places describes the ideal way a person interacts with the Scriptures, Okay, one of the easiest ways to understand is in Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1 is describing uh, this ideal person who's following the Lord. And it says, in the law of God, meaning in the word of God, he meditates day and night. That's the description of the ideal person interacting with the scripture is meditation. Okay, so smart people call it ancient Hebrew meditation literature because the intention is that you meditate on it. Okay, one quick thing about meditation before I move on. Uh, there's like a Eastern type of meditation where you empty your mind. It's like, don't think about anything. That's not what we're talking about here. The meditation that the scripture is talking about is actually to fill your mind, not to empty your mind. The, the picture is like a chow, a chow, I was going to say cow chewing on its cud, which apparently is harder to say than I realized when it started coming out of my mouth, but that's okay. Like a cow putting stuff in, chewing on it, right? Keep chewing on it. Keep chewing on it. If you know the digestive system of cow, it's disgusting what happens, but he keeps chewing on it is the idea, okay? That's the meditation type we're talking about here, right? Filling up on something and then rolling it around in your mind, thinking about it, going through it. What does that mean? Why did it say it like that? And all of that to said, when you read it, it is written in a way that invites you into that type of meditation, This is not written the way it's written on accident. It's written like this on purpose that you would think about it, okay? We good so far? I said you're going to have to hang with me. This is, we're, nobody lost yet. Okay. I'm doing good. This is great. Okay. One of the ways the Bible does that, makes you meditate, makes you think about it, is that it doesn't give you all the details that it could or that even probably you want to know. For instance, start at the beginning. We have a man and a woman and a snake in a garden. And as soon as you start reading that, at the beginning of Genesis, you're like, where'd the snake come from? Right? What, what happened to him? Right? Wait, what kind of fruit was it? And these are all questions people ask. I think it was an apple. No, I bet it wasn't an apple. Right? We do all this, and it was not given to us. That information wasn't given to us on purpose. There's like intentional ambiguities, intentional things left out so that you will have to fill those in in your mind. You'll have to think about it. You ever hear the phrase, a picture's worth a thousand words? So what happens is we have movies, and what a movie is is it's a bunch of pictures. A movie has way more information than a book because you could just see it. You could see all the things that are going on. But anybody who's ever read a book that was turned into a movie, they all say the same thing. The book was better. What? Less information was better? Yeah, because your mind was engaged in it. Your mind is engaged in a book in a way that it's not engaged in a movie 
because there's less information. So you have to fill in those gaps. And the Bible is like that turned up to 100. There's gaps in there so that you read it. And if you think about it, you'll be like, wait, why did he say that? Why could you possibly say that? And you start reading through and you're like, where could that have come from? What was his motivation? And you start having to fill in the gaps by engaging your mind or meditating. And as you turn the scriptures over in your mind, as you wrestle through, as you go back and forth, as you hypothesize and fill in possible gaps and maybe make one or two or three hypotheses and be like, maybe it was like this, maybe it was like this, maybe it was like this. That process of you wrestling with the scriptures actually teaches you something about yourself and about God. That's the intention. Okay, as you wrestle with the scripture, as you think through the scripture, it starts to give you a framework and imagery and language to interpret your own life experience. So now you're thinking about, whoa, what's going on here? Oh, they did this and oh, they ate the fruit and they shouldn't have ate the fruit. And man, there's some stuff in my life that I shouldn't do and I do it anyway and I know better. And yet I just feel like a little Satan voice is on my shoulder, right? You should do it, right? So that's what happens. When you turn these things over in your mind, when you meditate like you're intended to meditate. So what happens when someone writes in a style that is intended to cause you to meditate is the details that are in here are very specific and intentional. And the details that are left out are also very specific and very intentional. So if I'm writing something that I want you to think long and hard about, I'm going to be very intentional about what I put in and what I leave out. It's not an accident. I was just like, oh, I couldn't remember, so I left it blank. No, it's like I put it in there because I want you to think about it or I left it out because I want you to think about why I left it out. And that's exactly what happens with the authors of the scripture. They did it on purpose so that you would think about it. It's almost like they're tricking you into going through the exercise of meditation because they leave things out and put things in. They're like, what is happening here? It's like they're tricking you into wrestling with the truth of the word. Not tricking, that's a bad way. But as you do that, you will reveal something about yourself, about God. Okay, so all that to say, long intro, I get it. But basically, I just explained that the Bible is written in the way that it's written on purpose to make you think about it. We all still with me here so far? We good. Okay, three of you, that's better than zero. We'll keep going. Please hear me say this. What I just explained to you is not complicated. It's actually very simple. But you will have to think about it. Okay? You don't have to know a lot to understand the Bible wants you to think about it when you read it. But you do have to stay engaged. The only way you cannot get what the Bible wants you to get is if you give up. And actually, that's the most common way people interact with the Bible. I read it. I didn't get it. So I, whatever. Didn't make sense to me. I'm out. If it didn't make sense to you, press into that. Why does it say that? Why, what's going on here? Why, ask a question. Talk with somebody else about it. Those are the ways that the Bible starts to transform and interpret our lives. If you give up, then you won't get what it's saying. I promise you. But if you hang with it, if you try, God will meet you in it. 
If you don't give up, you keep rolling that thing that doesn't make sense around in your mind, God will show up in that. He's done it over and over and over again all throughout history. And the Bible is written so that that would be what takes place in your mind and heart as you read it. Okay, so we just read through the Ten Commandments. It took us so long that some of our young people went through puberty in the time it took us to cover all Ten Commandments. And we have this weird little story in Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 21, where the people hear God speak the Ten Commandments, and they are like, that's scary. Okay, so they hear the Ten Commandments, "Uh, that's scary. They're like, "Uh, we don't want to talk to God. Moses, you go talk to God. And Moses is like, don't be scared, guys. This is just a test. Don't come on. It's okay. And the people said, no, you go on ahead. You go up. You go to God. And Moses goes back up the mountain. And the thing that we read is the people were afar off. You think that detail's in there on accident? Think about that for a second. The people of God end our story afar off from the God who wants them close. All right, we're going to unpack that a little bit. Let's read it again. Think about the details that are in here, the details that are left out. Let's go. 18, verse 18, chapter 20. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flash of the lightning and the sound of the trumpet on the mountain and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. And the people stood afar off. That's the second time it said it, okay? while Moses drew near in the thick darkness where God was. Keep going, verse 22. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. Okay, stop right there. Does that last little bit sound familiar to anybody? Did we just read something like this in the Ten Commandments? Yes or no? Okay, we did, right? Remember back at the beginning of the Ten Commandments, it said, and God spoke all these words saying, so chapter 20, verse 1, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Verse 3, you shall not make any You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is in earth beneath or that is in water under the earth. Now skip down to verse 22. You have seen for yourselves that I've talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. You think God is like a dad who just repeats his stories over and over and doesn't remember what he told his kids? Is that what's going on here? God just like, ah, I forgot I told him that already. Or I'm getting into that dad syndrome where I'm like, did I tell you this before? My kid's like, yes. And I'm like, I'm going to tell it anyway. And I just do it again. Is that what's happening here? God's like, we're just going to run it back. Only got a few stories, going to keep telling them. Only got a few commands, just keep rolling them off. Did God just forget he said the same thing almost 19 verses earlier? Is that what's happening? Probably not. If we just talked about this being meditation literature and the things being included or not included or on purpose, 
I would have a hard time believing that God just repeated himself at the beginning and at the end of chapter 20 on accident. So what's going on here? Why is he repeating himself? Well, look at the end of chapter 20 for me. Is there a heading in your Bible? What's it say? Laws. Anybody's heading say something about laws? Wait, more laws? I thought we just did laws. Wasn't that what the Ten Commandments is all about? Wait, wait, wait. Okay, so think with me here. Here's what I mean by hang with me. Okay, we get to chapter 20. We have a block of laws that starts with this law about having no other gods before me and not making any idols. Then we have this little story in verse 18 to 21 about the people being like, no, we don't want to go up the mountain. That's scary. And Moses is like, no, come on up. And they're like, no, you go. And then we go back into another block of laws that starts with almost the same law. No other gods before me. Don't make them out of silver. Don't make them out of gold. Why is he repeating himself? Why is he repeating himself? Well, Let's fast forward. Maybe there's something to this. Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to skip chapter 21, 22, and 23. They're all laws. They're great. We'll talk about them later. But this is a big block from chapter 21, 22, and 23 is a big block of more laws. And then go to chapter 24, verse 1. Okay, so if you got a white or a blue Bible, it's really only one page for you, so it's not too hard. Chapter 24, verse 1. Then God said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Oh, wait a second. I think I heard that before too. Anybody ever remember the people saying, all the words the Lord has spoken, we will do? Let's go find it. Let's go back. Chapter 19, okay? Look at verse seven. Chapter 19, verse seven. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set them before all these words that the Lord had commanded them. In verse eight, all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. What? Okay, now I really think God's losing it. He's repeating himself. Like these are just, why are we doing this over and over again? Okay, everybody see that? Did I do any sleight of hand? Is that too complicated for like, I've heard that before, right? No, it's not complicated, okay? But you do have to pay attention. So here's the pattern that we have so far. If we're starting at verse 19, Moses goes up the mountain, talks to God, comes back down, and the people say this very specific phrase, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Okay, then we go through 19, we get to 20, we get a block of laws. Then we get a little story, then we get another block of laws, then Moses goes back up the mountain, comes back down, and the people say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Do you see a pattern here? You should see a pattern. It's what literary people, smart people, way smarter than me, call a chiasmus. Okay, chi from the Greek letter chi, like an X. It's this 
crossing of words or ideas on purpose, and you say them forward once and then backwards once. I got a little thing that I'll put on here for you to see. Uh, a chiasma. If you had a two-part chiasma, it would go AB, and then we would flip it, and we'd go BA. If we have a three-part chiasma, it would go ABC, and then we'd flip it, and we'd go CBA, okay? You're more familiar with these than you think. You don't need to remember the word. You don't remember any of this. But if you've ever heard the phrase, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog, Oh, yeah, that's what's happening. A, B, then flip it. B, A. Right? Or the great theologian Snoop Dogg said, I got my mind on my money and my money on my mind. Right? <laughs> a, B, B, A. Okay? That's a chiasma. Literary people have used it for a long, long time. It's just a way of drawing your attention to a phrase or idea. Now, there, those are word chiasmas. There's ones that you can do with ideas, okay? I'm going to make my dad feel old right now, but he's not here, so he doesn't care. There's this old song from the 70s, Cats in the Cradle. You familiar with it? Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon. So the way the song goes, at the beginning of the song, this guy has a kid, and the kid wants to hang out with the dad. He says, Dad, can we hang out? The dad says, no, I don't got time, but I will have time later and then the song says, I know we'll have a good time then. I know we'll have a good time then. And the kid says, that's fine, dad. I'll wait. I just want to be like you. Then fast forward. Now the dad's old and the kid is a man. And the dad wants to hang out with the kid. And the dad calls the kid and says, hey, can we hang out? And the kid now says to the dad, I don't have time, but I will in the future. And he repeats to the dad what the dad said to him younger. I know we'll have a good time then. I know we'll have a good time then. And then at the end of the song, there's a sad moment where the dad realizes he grew up just like me. That's the idea, right? We went, dad said this to kid. Kid wanted to be like dad, right? Now we flip it around. Kid says the same thing back to dad. And dad realizes he just became like me. That's a chiasma. This is intersection of thoughts and ideas where we flip them around. That's what's happening in chapter 19 through 24 of your Bible right here, okay? It's like a mountaintop. We're going A, B, C, and then back to B, and then back to A, okay? Moses goes up the mountain. Actually, I'll put it up here. Yeah, there we go. Okay, so the A's on either side are Moses goes up the mountain, talks to God, comes back down, and the people say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That's chapter 19, verse 7. That's chapter 24, verse 3. Those are on the outsides, okay? Then in the middle, B, we have these two blocks of laws that start weirdly the same, right? Something about no other gods before me and you can't make any idols. Very similar commands there. That's the Ten Commandments, chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. And then that's all the other laws, chapter, the end of chapter 20, chapter 21, chapter 22, and chapter 23, Okay, there's a block of 10 laws on the first one. There's a block of 42 laws on the second one. So all that to say, whoever wrote this really wants you to pay attention to this little tiny story in verses 18 to 21. They built the whole thing so you would be like, wait, that story's not repeated. Moses going up and down the mountain, that's repeated. The block of laws, there's another block of laws on the other side, but this little chunk in the middle, 
That's the point where everything changes. That's the point where everything turns. If we had a mountain peak, we're going up, A, B, C, and then we come back down, B, A. Like that little piece in the middle. It's almost like the writers of this drew a huge bullseye around these three verses, 18 to 21. It was like, please pay attention to these three verses. They're really, really, really dang important. Did I lose anybody yet? Don't tell me. I'd feel bad if I did. Okay, so what's such a big deal about these three verses that the authors felt like they need to draw this huge bullseye around them, that they needed to work so hard to bring the details in to make you focus on this little story? Let's go back to 19 verse 1. Because it's been a while, we might forget what's going on in the story. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they set out from Rephidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai. And they encamped at the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. So this is Mount Sinai. Verse 3, while Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So what's God trying to do? He's trying to bring the people to himself. You read that with me? You got that? Okay, just making sure. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came down and called the elders of the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So God says, I'm bringing you to myself that you will be my treasured possession among all the peoples of the earth. So you will be to me a kingdom of priests. Now, a priest is an in-between, right? We got God up here. We got man down here. A priest is a guy that's kind of in-between and goes between God and man. You understand that? That's what a priest's intention was. Okay, I'm the go-between between God and man. So God says, I want your whole nation to be like that. All the nation of Israel, you're going to be the go-between. You're going to be in-between God and man. You're going to represent me to the world. That was the intention. All the people said, sounds good, let's do it. So in the story, Moses goes back up to God, says, we're in, they say, let's do it. And God says, okay, get ready, I'm coming to meet them in three days. So Moses goes back down the mountain, says, sanctify yourselves, God is coming to meet you in three days, everybody get ready. And that's where we pick it up in chapter 19, verse 16, okay? On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, a very loud trumpet blast, so that the people came in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Where are they? At the foot of the mountain. Where's the foot of the mountain? Right next to the mountain, right? If I was like, I'm standing at the foot of the mountain, you'd be like, not 20 miles away, right next to the mountain, okay? There was some uh, limits set up. They're like, crossed the line. They're like, don't cross this line. So it sounds like the people are right there at the line. Got it? Verse 18. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in a fire and the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. 
And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. So Moses said, brings the people out to meet God, okay? They're standing right at the foot of the mountain. They stand real close. Moses goes up, and God says, go back down. Make sure they don't come up the mountain. And as Moses comes back down, verse 18, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of the lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood where? afar off. Do you see that at the end of verse 18? When Moses went up, they were at the foot of the mountain. Now he comes back down. God has just spoken the Ten Commandments, and they're not at the foot of the mountain anymore. They're not close any longer, like God intended for them to be close. They're far off. And they said to him, verse 19, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. And the people stood again afar off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So what's going on here? When Moses went up last time, they were at the foot of the mountain. They're right there. God comes down on the fire and cloud and trumpet and thunder. And they're like, yeah, let's meet God. That's what it said. Moses brought the people out to meet God. And then Moses goes up and comes back down and they're not close. He's like, where'd they go? They were all standing right here. Now they're far off. They're a long ways away. So all this effort and energy and attention goes into pointing all of us as Bible readers to this little story and the story is actually kind of a bummer because the people who were supposed to be close when we finish the story, they're far off. What's happened here? Did we fail? God is like, I want these people to be to myself. I want them to be a kingdom of priests. They're the go-between between me and the whole world. And Moses goes up like, yeah, let's do it. I brought the people out to meet God. And God's like, go back down and check on them. And he goes back down and they're not close anymore. They're far off. It's actually not a new story in the Bible. There's this pattern that gets repeated over and over and actually stretches all the way back to Adam and Eve. And it's this test of whether or not people are willing to surrender their version of the good life and obey what God commands to draw near to him. Because they stand at the mountain, they're like, that looks scary. I think that's gonna destroy me. I don't think I can actually do that. I can't be obedient to what God says because I want my safety. So I'm gonna go stand afar off instead of standing right near. Because like C.S. Lewis said at the end of the Narnia, he's not safe, but he's good. And these people decide, nope, just like Eve decided way back at the beginning of your scriptures, we're not, I'm not doing the thing God told me to do. That's not my version of the good life. I think I know what a good life would be for me. And they don't draw near like God told them to. So here's what this story is about. Just think big picture for me. At the end of this story, this little three-verse story, we have the people of God who are called to be near. But are they near? No, they're far. They're far off. And we have one man who says, don't be afraid, and then disappears in the fire to draw near to God. Let me say that again. You have the people of God who are far off, and we have one man going up the mountain to be near to God. One man who is the connection between the people who are far off and the God on the mountain. One man goes up to meet God. 
The whole nation was supposed to do it. All the people of God were supposed to do it, but they couldn't do it. And so it's one man surrendering and doing what God called the whole nation to do. And now that man will be the go-between between God and man. That man that surrendered his version of the good life and went up the mountain to meet God, that man will now be the go-between because the people are like, Moses, you go and talk to us. You see the picture? For the rest of the story, this one man who had the courage to surrender the fear and the uncertainty and go up the mountain, that one man will be the go-between between God and his people. And here's what just happened. God says, I want you all to come to me, but they couldn't do it, so one man did it. And now by that one man, the people of God will have access to the Father. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Like Jesus Christ surrendering to give the people of God access to the Father? This might be the most important three verses in the whole book of Exodus. I'm six minutes over, and I'm not stopping because it's that important. I'll be done in five minutes, I promise. This is where the whole story turns. The Old Testament story of the concept of the people of God takes a radical turn in just these three verses. Literally from this point on, the people of God will come to God through one man. And now this picture of the people of God are still far off. They're not sinners that are far off. They're not the worst of the worst that are far off. This is the people of God that are far off but they are brought to the Father by the one man who would surrender. And this becomes the picture, the foreshadowing of how every single person who comes to the Father will come to the Father through that one man. And that one man is Jesus Christ. He actually said it. He said, there is no other way to the Father. No one comes to the Father except by me. You came to the foot of the mountain. You thought you could make it. You couldn't. You got scared. You turned around. But Moses went up. Now Jesus is like, that was a picture of how we interact. I came to the Father, and you don't get to the Father unless you go through me. And just like Moses said in these three verses, do not fear. Isn't it a little bit interesting that one of Jesus' favorite things to say to people is do not fear? Fear not. Don't be anxious. So where do we end up? We end up where the people of God always end up, standing afar off, knowing our only access to the Father, the only way we might draw near is through that one man. And next week, we're actually going to finish looking at this chiasmus, like we're on the way up. We get to the turning point. We just talked about those three verses, how it changes everything. And now there's some stuff we need to look at on the way down because that change took place. This future for the people of God is going to be awesome. So I took too long today. We're going to have to do that next week, but it's going to be great. So don't miss it if you can. Worship team, come on up. We're going to sing to that one man who gave us access to the Father. Let's stand.